Welcome to the OKC Community Podcast. We are so glad you're here. To get the latest updates or to watch this week's message, visit our website at okccommunitychurch.com. Talking about today, so why don't you look at your neighbor and say, Family matters. Look at your other neighbor and say, Family matters. If you just thought of Steve Urkel, you are my people, right? 90s sitcom, if you don't know what I'm talking about, bless your young little soul. 90s TV was where it's at. So let's get, let's get going today, right? We're going to be in this, uh, we've been in this series, Live the Values, for about seven weeks, and next week we'll actually be wrapping it up. Um, but this has been an important series for us as a church because we've been establishing cultural language, or per- perhaps a better way to say it in, in this context today is we've been establishing our family language, right? The things that we say to one another that means something. Probably in your family, you have certain language that means something to your family, right? Like things that if it doesn't quite land the same when you say it to other people, the inside jokes that you have, or maybe the very meaningful, affectionate words like honey boo boo or whatever you say to one another, right? Like in our family, we have inside jokes. We have things that we say to one another. We say things to our kids that we wouldn't say to other kids, thankfully. And, And here's the thing. I, Christy always told me a story um, about her dad singing her a song when she was a kid, and he would say, I love my girls, they're prettier than squirrels. And I was like, all right, yeah, 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 that's cool. It sound, it's, to her, it's a song of affection. To me, it was a little bit of a low standard for her beauty. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. I'm married to a woman prettier than a squirrel, right? Um, that's the thing. Family language is meaningful, right? And we're in this series uh, that is all about establishing family language that's meaningful. I mean, when I say, what are we all about? What are we about here at OKC Community? What do we value? Well, it, we value these things. We're all about reaching people, right? We're all about extravagant love, right? We're all about passionate devotion, courageous faith, spiritual family, and doing things that matter. And here's how we describe spiritual family. We say it this way. We reject an individualized faith and trust in a spiritual family as a better way to live. We believe we are better together. Amen? And so, yeah, who in here agrees that we are better together? Amen? Good. All right. So let's, let's do the cliff dive into this spiritual family value. So perhaps a good place to begin is what is family? A number of years ago, it was about 10 years ago, uh, Cosmopolitan Magazine created a magazine cover that garnered some attention. And we have uh, here the Kardashians. And in the middle there, you can see America's first family. And uh, now I'll admit, I don't really keep up with the Kardashians. Um, Never even seen the show. But I did learn that this show has been on for 20 seasons and it ended this summer. And so apparently, <laughs> apparently a lot of people in America liked keeping up with the Kardashians. And obviously the America's first family is supposed to represent the presidential family. And so there's a little bit of heat on this little cover and all this kind of stuff. But the Kardashians, since they captured the attention of so many people, you would have to say that in some ways this is, this is a true statement. This is, this is representative of our culture. And if it tells us anything, it tells us that Family is a very hard thing to describe these days. It's, it's a difficult to portray the caricature of a family, isn't it? In America, it's no longer 
And I don't know if it ever really was for this matter, but that American version of a family of, you know, a husband and wife and a, at a house with a white picket fence, two kids and a dog named Skip, right? Like that, that picture is fading family, maybe 10 kids, it may be no kids, it may be a house, it may be an apartment, it may be couch surfing, right? It could be, it could be broken families, single parent families, blended families, it may be it may be all sorts of things. It may be a group of friends is your family. In all those cases, it could be an amazing representation of family. Family can also be a negative word for people, father wounds and mother wounds. And family just looks different for so many of us. And, and if it's hard to define family biologically and socially, how hard is it then to get into this context of spiritual and say, what is a spiritual family? What does church family really mean? What does it really look like? I started going to church when I was a teenager and my first understanding of a church family meant things like church potlucks. Anybody experience the power of a potluck, right? You know, a dozen casseroles, a few jello molds, something like that. The church I went to every Wednesday, they had a potluck. And so church family definitely meant food. Right? And, and how many of you guys know that food and family do go together? Right? And church family not just meant food, it meant fellowship. And so it was softball leagues and Sunday school parties and, I don't know, watermelon eating contests, stuff like that, right? Like that's what it was. And so food and fellowship was at the heart of church family. And for some of you who are old enough, that was the glory days of church. You know what I mean? Food and fellowship. But how many of you know that food and fellowship, as good as it is, that is not enough? That is not enough to define what spiritual family really means. Early on when we started this church, uh, I had a few people say, hey, something to the effect, don't seek to start a church, but aim to establish a family. And for the last eight years, I feel like that's really been in our heart, that we've really cared about that. This isn't just something we say, but it is something we value and something that really shapes how we do things around here. And it's a work that involves every one of us. It's something that's easy to say, but it takes years, I've realized, of intentional deep work um, by everybody doing their part. So clearly spiritual family, right? It has quite a few differences than the idea of biological family. They are not identical. However, the Bible uses language that's obviously similar and the same. We use the relationship among believers. We describe that as brothers and sisters. So in this room, if you know Jesus, we may be brothers from other mothers or sisters from different misters. But we are family, right? We have spiritual fathers and mothers in the room. In a book called The Images of the Church, a guy named Paul Minier, he identified at least 96 metaphors in the church uh, or in the Bible to describe the church, such as, and you've heard these before, sometimes this church is called the army or the bride or the flock or the body or the temple or the chosen generation or, or the royal priesthood, all will really good things. But of all the word pictures and metaphors in the scriptures, family, especially in the New Testament, stands above all the rest. In fact, it's not even a metaphor because it's, it's a literal description of the church. The church is not like a family. Church is family. Dottie Lewis says it like this in his book, Among Wolves. He says, God is literally our father. 
Jesus is literally our elder brother, and we are literally brothers and sisters in Christ. Family is the primary way the early church identified themselves. This can be seen by the fact that the word disciple, so prevalent in the early part of the New Testament, disappears after the book of Acts. It's replaced by the term brother or sister in the rest of the Bible. Family dominates the self-understanding of the early church. That's who they understood themselves to be. Now, Matthew 3, 13 through 17 is one of the key places in the scriptures where this family dynamic is established. And, and I, I know, I was thinking about this, I think most of us probably don't need to really be convinced of the value of spiritual family, but I do want you to know where it comes from. All right, so Matthew 3, uh, verse 13, we have this moment of the baptism of Jesus. It says, it says this, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by his cousin John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, and at that moment heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Now, this moment was, um, how do you say it? It, was, it was, has sweeping implications, all right? Not only is God speaking, which is always significant, he speaks at the end of this passage, but he's breaking 400 years of silence. Most of you know this, or maybe you don't, but there's about a 400-year gap between the Old Testament and the New Testament, and it's considered, and the book of Malachi, which was the final prophet of what's considered the Old Testament, there was, no, there was nothing between that and this moment when John the Baptist shows up with the prophetic ministry of preaching the repentance uh, of sin. So he's preaching that, but John's ministry, John the Baptist's ministry, it culminates at this moment, the baptism of Jesus, in which there is God revealing himself as father, right? God is revealing himself as father. This is sweeping. He breaks 400 years of silence and he establishes family. Now that may feel extreme, but this thread actually continues through the rest of the New Testament and the way he defines who we are in relationship to God. If you, if you skipped ahead of Romans 8, we find the essence of our identity in this idea of the adopted children of God. Romans 8, 14 through 17 says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. Everyone say, I'm a child of God. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. That's good, right? Some people act like that in their relationship with the Lord, but that's not what God intends. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. So if you're ever like, how do I know that I know? You'll feel it in your spirit. His spirit will affirm it. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are the heirs of God's glory. So when we choose to follow Jesus, we become the adopted sons and daughters of the Most High King. And I, just, I really want you to hear that today because I know we can't ever really hear it enough that God is our Father 
and that we are his children. Now, sometimes my, <clears throat> my kids will ask me the question, hey, dad, who's your favorite kid? And I'll always say, well, Karis, of course. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't say that. I don't say that. I say, I love all my kids the same, right? Everyone is equal in the family. And that is how it is in God's family. People will carry different roles, but everyone is of equal value. That's why we are called co-heirs with Christ. Do you understand that? Equal brothers and sisters, we are grafted into the family of God through the grace and mercy of Jesus. Through having a relationship with Jesus, we are grafted into his family. Amen? Amen. So why are we taking the time to reestablish some really basic things about the foundations of a spiritual family? Why do we need to make sure we're clear on this? Because if we don't take time to consider, if we don't take time to consider that our spiritual family has sweeping implications worthy of life-altering decisions and considerations, worthy of deep intentional ways of living. If we don't take the time to do this sort of work, what will happen is we might resort to more shallow ways of living, such as easygoing formulas like being a consumer of religious goods and services or maybe going to church instead of being the church. Or perhaps we might resort to more shallow ways of living, like having zero accountability in our life outside of ourselves. Yeah. Or, or perhaps self-protecting by keeping others at an, arm length, at an arm's length and, and, and avoiding true authentic community. We might just do that sort of thing. I know it sounds crazy. We might even make Jesus an individualistic pursuit versus a communal one. There's, I mean, I know it's kind of far-fetched to believe that we might do that kind of stuff, but it's possible. Let's pause on this word individualism. Um, this is a key word in our world. I talk about it a lot because it's a big deal. In Western society, it's just understood that you and I should put the needs of self over the needs of community. We, we really do have an embedded kind of understanding, philosophy of life, worldview. Take care of yourself first, then if you can, help others. It's the oxygen mask on the plane philosophy, philosophy applied to every situation, right? We really do think this way in our culture. It's how we spend our money. Think about it. Where's your money go first? It's how we eat our food. Where's your food go first? It's how we spend our time. Where's your time go first? It's a me first mindset. Then if I can do anything else, I'll think about it. And I, I think about this in my own life, that this is probably true for me too. And so it takes a lot of intentional effort to break free of that mold. Um, Joseph Hellerman wrote a great book called When Church Was Family, and he says it sort of like this about this particular reality. He says, our culture has powerfully socialized us to believe that personal happiness and fulfillment should take precedence over the connections we have with others in both our families and our churches. He goes on and he says this, by contrast, nearly all other societies throughout history have been and continue to be collectivists in their view of the world. Most persons who have lived on planet earth have simply assumed that the good of the individual should take a back seat to the good of the group, whether that group is a family, a village, or religious community. So just so you know, 80% of the world currently today, it's actually a little over 80%, operates from a collectivist mindset, a worldview. Um, and America is, of course, in that 20-ish percentile that does not. Statistically, America, I've said this many times, is the most individualistic culture 
on planet Earth. That does not mean that we don't understand this way of thinking. We do understand family first, community first way of thinking. We apply it to particular environments. Think about um, where else we might think this way. We might think the good of the group is a behavior that's expected among soldiers, right? Uh, for example, we would never want to live every man for himself in our military. That would put us in bad shape, right? Uh, we expect this in sports. There's no I in team until Michael Jordan came along and he said, but there isn't win. <laughs> right? I believe, I believe this way of thinking is important in our family, like that, that, that there's, there can't be an individualist mindset. Um, so I tell our kids, we all share the work and the responsibility of the family. For example, um, it takes all of us to keep our house in order. All of us need to take on the role. So a long time ago, this started with as simple as after dinner, we all clean up together, we do the dishes, clear the table, load the dishwasher, wipe the counters off, you know, put the food away, all the things. And when we first started this, our kids did not like it. They did not like this. And or if we ask them to do any chore for that matter, and they say, well, how much are you going to pay me to do this? What do you think I said? I said, nothing. I'm not going to pay you to be a part of this family. Let that sink in. As a family, we all carry the responsibility of running the house and doing what has to be done. Whether that's folding laundry or mowing the grass or doing the dishes. And in case you're thinking, man, he's hardcore, I want you to know I am a good, good father. <laughs> so I tell my kids, I will give you money because you are part of this family and because I love you. And so we reward and we bless them. But as far as the responsibility of being in this family, we're all in this together. Then I, I pump some high school musical, we're all in this together and we jam out. That was for all of you who didn't get the Steve Urkel reference earlier, you youngins. <clears throat> so we describe spiritual family here as rejecting the notion of an individualized faith. This is really important because not only in this overly individualistic culture does this impact us as people, but it, it impacts the church, does it not? The church has been largely impacted by this, especially here in America, but even our church here, we, I think about this all the time, how we've streamlined and made church more convenient and more accessible um, and so simple that you can just kind of uh, check the church box uh, in so many different ways mentally now. We can get our personal spiritual fix through podcast or a five-minute online devotional or a live stream and all absent of consistent spiritual friendships, much less missionally focused relationships going and being the church in a city. And so I've given, I've given this thought, I mean, I haven't figured it out, to be really honest, but I've given our current circumstances in the world quite a bit of thought. I mean, how do we navigate, think about this, how do we navigate the advances in technology, the modern day individualism that we can't really avoid? How do we embrace the future the conveniences of efficiency and technology that are available to us, all while still holding on to a value like spiritual family. Because the, the potluck era is over, but spiritual family is not. So how do we do this? Because there must be some sort of, we'll call it like an algorithm that's in our minds and in our hearts that, 
that, that just helps us have a filter that allows us to still have a healthy way of utilizing all of these things that are available to us, yet not replacing community, not replacing accountability and presence and life-on-life impact. Do you guys feel this tension? And I feel like we have to self-govern, if you will, uh, and more importantly, communally govern one another through shared values and beliefs. Then this is why family language is so important. This is why shared values are really, really helpful. Because we can say to one another, this is what we believe, and so therefore this is how we're going to live. And if we value spiritual family, then we, we're going to have to live that way. And so we hold one another not only to the scriptures, but to the truth and to the values that we hold dear together. And this is why it's important. Because there are healthy ways to use technology. There are healthy ways to use conveniences. There are healthy ways to step into the future, yet not let go of a, of a value, a traditional value like spiritual family that we have one an, with one another as the church body. So does God. Uh, oh, by the way, I would say this too. I, I believe it's, I believe, I don't believe we can actually be spiritually healthy or even in God's will if we whittle our faith down to a me, a God experience. Do we have a personal encounter with God? Of course. Do we have individual personalities and giftings? Absolutely. But does God in his sovereignty use all of us as individuals to make up the beautiful body of Christ, a collective work of art where we are stronger together, building one another, finding strength, through one another, finding support, finding that sense of family that we all need in a world that can leave us lonely, right? Yes, absolutely, God does that. He has given us this gift of spiritual family. It's why God comes and he breaks 400 years of silence and establishes himself as father. Remember what Jesus said, whenever you pray, begin your prayer, heavenly father, right? This is what God has established this dynamic as a spiritual family is central to our relationship with God and with one another, which brings up the phrase one another, which is mentioned over a hundred times in the New Testament. There's absolutely no more instruction than the idea of one anothering in the New Testament. It keeps coming up specific commands teaching us how and how not to be with one another. Here are a few of those commands. He says, love one another. John 13, 34. This is mentioned 16 times, by the way. Love one another. Be devoted to one another. I'm just going to go through a bunch of these. Is that all right? Honor one another above yourselves. Live in harmony with one another. These are all in the scriptures. Build up one another. Be like-minded towards one another. Accept one another. Admonish one another. Greet one another. Care for one another. Serve one another. Bear with one another's burdens. Forgive one another. Be patient with one another. Be kind to one another. Comfort one another. Continue to meet with one another and pray for one another. That's 20 of the 100 one another's. Do you think that God cares about how we treat and relate with one another? I think so God so badly wants us to get this, that he did break 400 years of silence, send his son Jesus as a sacrifice on the cross in order to help establish a way of living which includes operating and living as a spiritual family. So what do we do with a message like this? What should it stir up? 
Well, first of all, I, I have a few things. <laughs> first of all, I hope for the person who just attends and has little to no relationship here, no community here. I hope this stirs up a, a desire for you to step out of the crowd and to allow yourself to be known. If that's, if that's you here, I, just, I, hope, I hope you'll get involved and start doing the spiritual family thing here. And I know that's not always easy, but you're showing up for some reason. And I just wanna encourage you to give spiritual family a try because can't, you can't do it on your own. Secondly, I hope for the person who's been involved here, who's experienced spiritual family before, but has taken a step back has been discouraged by something. I hope you feel the encouragement to lean back in, not only to the love of the Father, but to the love of people. So that's the second one. The third one, I would say, if you're here and you're all in, you're like, I do the spiritual family thing. Like, that's a big part of my life. I love it. Um, well, I hope this stirs you up to help others experience what you're experiencing. I remember a long time ago where we just kind of learned a lesson, like we can't hoard this. This isn't, this isn't just like, we can't be selfish with the family that we experience. We need to share it. Like it's a gift that I've received. Now I can go freely give it to others. And finally for the person, how do you respond to a message like this? Finally for the person who has been hurt by the church. hurt by people you call family. I hope today can restore some hope because I realize a very common story these days is this idea of church hurt. And I'll just say, I mean, honestly, I, I prefer to call it, I prefer to call it relational hurt with other believers. But I do know as people, we can we can be hurt by others that we go to church with. And when we receive that kind of hurt, and I may be talking to just some specific people here today, but I did, I did want to pause on this one because when we receive hurt from other brothers and sisters in Christ, it can be very disorienting. And, and the hurt we receive um, can be really, really hard. And I, I realize I might be talking to someone that's just watching on a live stream or listening to a podcast because they, they have a hard time walking in here. And so if this is you and you're listening or you're watching, church hurt may be the thing that's keeping you from getting involved again. It could be the thing that's preventing you from deep relationships here. And you just kind of, you're around because you love Jesus, but you just, you, there was a book written years ago that, you know, a lot of people are okay loving Jesus. They just don't like the church. And I get where that comes from, but I would say this, it's impossible to love Jesus and not love his church, it's his bride. And so you gotta figure it out, like people are people and that's why Jesus came. People are gonna mess up, people are gonna hurt us, people are gonna, people are gonna fail us. As a pastor, I know that I can, I can hurt people and, and even when I don't mean to. And I realize that there's probably been a lot of people I've hurt over the years and it breaks my heart that I've done that and I don't know what I've done maybe, but sometimes it just happens because of the things that we do and don't do unintentionally, right? And I would just say, 
that the reason that we put our faith in Jesus is that we come to Jesus collectively as a group of people, as a spiritual family who knows that one another is broken and imperfect and says, you know what? We don't come to one another as the author and the perfecter of our faith. We go to Jesus as the author and the perfecter of our faith. That Jesus is the one we put our trust and our faith in, not in other people. And that's why where we give, just like we receive the grace and mercy of Jesus in our life, we give the grace and mercy of Jesus to others. And so I felt like the Holy Spirit wanted me to share a word today around the idea of forgiveness. You know, one of the most important one another's in the scripture is the idea to forgive one another. And the forgiveness of church hurt, or, and, and, and maybe it's just any forgiveness today, so the big, big, wide spectrum of the people in our life who've hurt us. And I just want you to hear this word, that unforgiveness is the closed, closed door to your own breakthrough. Often unforgiveness is what gets in the way of the breakthrough that God wants to give us. And so to begin to even sort of unravel that, we have to go back to the forgiveness that we've received. If you know Jesus, right? I want you to think about the love that Jesus demonstrated on the cross for you. The forgiveness that God has given you, that once you receive Jesus, he's forgiven you of everything. He forgives you of all the bad things you've done. He forgives you for the sins you've committed. He forgives you for the pain you've inflicted on others. He forgives you for the perverse and, the, and the, the crooked things that you've done, the selfish and prideful ways you've acted. He's forgiven all of it. God forgives you because he loves you, because he calls you his children. And we truly need to let that sink in every day, the grace and mercy and the forgiveness that God has given you. And God says to you and me all the time, I've forgiven you, can you forgive them? Will you forgive them for what they said? what they didn't say. We forgive them from what they did or didn't do. Ephesians 4.32 says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Family is often about forgiveness. So maybe for you, it's a specific person that you got to like fill the blank in and say, I got to forgive that person. Maybe it's a group of people. Maybe it's an idea in the church that you have to forgive. Maybe the truth, because I, I will say the truth about unforgiveness is, it, 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 again, it, it works like a steel door to your own future, to your own freedom. Unforgiveness, it, what does it do? It breeds bitterness and hatred and judgment and the cycle of frustration that keeps you from going where God wants you to go. And when we are experiencing forms of <clears throat> church hurt, I believe it keeps you from family, which is exactly where the enemy wants you to stay. So I know that forgiveness is not an easy thing to do, and I stand up here knowing that some of you have experienced trauma and pain inflicted on you that I have no business telling you to just let it go, and that's not what I'm saying today. What I'm saying instead is that God can set you free of the pain that has been inflicted upon you because his love is that great. 
And you may need time to process, you may need time to talk, you may need to go to get counseling. But what I would say is that I would encourage you to start that journey because when you allow the extravagant love of the Father to flow through you and in you and into your heart and into the rest of your soul, when you freely receive the forgiveness of God for yourself, because guess what? Some of you have to forgive yourself. You have to forgive yourself. And you allow the forgiveness of God to run through your body. Guess what? Whenever, whenever you receive that, you are capable of forgiving anything. Because forgiveness is always, it, it's, it's often not for the sake of the perpetrator. Often it's for you or the victim to be set free of the offense. So I'm not sure who that word is for today, but I believe it's for several of us. I, I don't know. Forgiveness has been working its way into my heart in a weird way lately where I didn't know I had unforgiveness in me. And if you just allow yourself to say, Lord, is there anybody that I need to forgive? You'll be surprised what the Holy Spirit will reveal to you because he wants you to be free of that. He wants you to be free of it. And he wants to set you free of it so you can start trusting people again and that you can start experiencing the family that God really wants to give you. Because more than you know it, you are living a life where you think that you can do it on your own with the Lord. That's called individualism. And he says, no, 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 I wanna set you free of that lie. And I wanna open your heart up to people like you've never opened it up before, for you to experience family like you've never experienced it before. Spiritual family is about all the ways of one anothering. And I told you, we're eight years in to trying to not just start a church, but to establish a family. And that is way easier said than done. And it's not something that we do by just saying we have a value called spiritual family. It's demonstrated in how we live. We must live this value. So I wanna pray for us. And can I, can we just stand together? Would you everybody just stand with me? We're gonna pray. We're gonna sing in a moment. But I'm just gonna start this prayer kind of like Jesus told us to pray, right? What was it in Matthew? When he says, pray like this, he says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And listen to this, and forgive us of our sin as we also forgive those who sinned against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Father, we thank you for being not only our creator, but our heavenly father. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Right now, I just want to pray over some of you. I want to pray for anyone in this room that needs to experience the love of the Father running through your heart right now to receive the forgiveness, but also to extend forgiveness. If today you believe God is speaking to you about forgiving someone, maybe you just need to pray today. Maybe you just need to say, God, I just, I want to forgive and then say their name. Say, say whoever the person is or the, or the group of people is or whatever it is. God, I want to forgive them. I don't want that to be in the way of what you want for me any longer. I receive your forgiveness and now I freely give forgiveness to others. Today, if that's you, just say a prayer like that. Allow God's love, His grace, His mercy, allow it to fill you. Begin that journey of forgiveness. 
And I would say this too, if you need spiritual family in your life, if you feel like you're trying to do it on your own, if you feel like life has been very lonely for you, I would say to you that, that I just wanna pray over you. Father, I pray, I pray for that person. Pray for whoever that is in this room, that Lord, you would just surround them right now with your presence, encouragement to step into the family that you're saying, Lord, that you're just saying, it's right here. Help them trust people. Father, I pray for all of us to long for authentic community, strong spiritual family. We pray that we truly are better together. We pray this in your name. Amen. This altar is going to be open during this song as we sing about the love of the Father. And you can come and you can pray. And you may want to just pray forgiveness for your own heart, maybe towards someone else. Um, Do it. Our prayer team will here to be pray with you if you want. You can pray on your own. And if you need to just talk to someone about what it means to know Jesus, that's what we want to talk with you about. I'll be down here, some others. We'd love to talk to you about what it means to even know Jesus as your Savior. Let's let this be a time of response, of worship and prayer. Give this time to Him. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If there's anything we can pray with you about, or if you have questions about God, we'd love to talk with you. Please visit our contact page at okccommunitychurch.com.